0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Have you ever thought about how much the stories of the Bible have affected our lives? For example, we read today, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. When I was a child, there were many Canadian laws that helped Christians to keep Sunday as a Sabbath day. Stores were not permitted to be open on Sunday, with the exception of gas stations and a few restaurants and convenience grocery stores. Many people I knew took the Sabbath commandment very seriously. They would never throw in a load of laundry or mow their lawns or run the vacuum around. But I also knew lots of people who happily went out to restaurants for lunch after church. During this time, my aunt and uncle owned a restaurant, and I remember one day my aunt came home after her shift shift feeling hurt and angry. It had been Sunday, and the people from her church sat in her restaurant and chided her for not attending worship that morning, not seeing any irony that she couldn't go to church because she had to prepare to wait on them. Well, I was a teenager working at Safeway when the ban on Sunday grocery shopping was lifted. The manager of the store was sure that Sunday was going to be the biggest grocery day of the week, outpacing Saturdays. What we actually saw, of course, was that store hours extended throughout the week and shoppers distributed themselves accordingly. Stores have been open for seven days for many, many years and now no one has any patience for long lineups at the checkouts. The biggest impact, really, on grocery sales is not the hours of the store but the size of the cart. Bigger carts look empty so people put more stuff in them. I've known churches who have struggled with these Sabbath rules themselves. Once upon a time, my church had a display of Christian books and records for sale in the foyer. But people were encouraged to come during the week to make their purchases. And some people objected to selling anything at all in the church. In another church, our women's auxiliary made a Christmas caking, baking, Christmas cake baking blitz every year. And those fruitcake profits were in the tens of thousands of dollars. They served many ministries and missions. And one day, the ladies asked if they could just offer these last few remaining cakes for sale on Sunday morning after church. And this led to a hot debate among the ministers and the elders of the church. Stop making my house a marketplace, someone quoted. Pitted against the rest of us who were saying, making a donation to the auxiliary in exchange for a cake isn't really very much different from passing the offering plate during worship. So, what do we think Jesus was demonstrating when he made this dramatic outburst in the temple in Jerusalem? Was it a critique about shopping, as some have suggested? So let's take a closer look at this gospel passage. First of all, the gospel writer tells us the time of year. It was Passover, it was near Passover. That is the holiest of festival days in the religious calendar. Festivals are an opportunity for the community to come together in celebration, and everyone is encouraged to participate. In Jesus' time, and up to our time, people would travel across the whole Roman Empire to be part of the events in the temple in Jerusalem. Passover was celebrating that special occasion when God had reached out in power to intervene for God's people, when God had provided for them in their distress. The celebrations were held to remind people of God's sustaining love, to point them to the reality of God's continuing presence and activity among them. So the temple in Jerusalem was a great gathering point for religious people in Jesus' day, and Jesus rarely missed a festival. The Gospels tell us he traveled frequently to Jerusalem throughout his life, often engaging in lively debates with the scholars and priests in the temple courtyards. And on this particular day, it would have been no different. There were crowds in the city and crowds in the temple. My Bible dictionary said that in the time of the temple, 100,000 pilgrims came to Jerusalem for Passover. So it would have been like walking around a day at the Calgary Stampede grounds. 100,000 people. Well, the temple space is very structured to accommodate the crowds. The outer area of the temple is open to everyone, but only those of Jewish ancestry could enter the inner courtyards, and only priests can enter the Holy of Holies. And pilgrims who came wanted to make offerings and animal sacrifices. But there were strict protocols that the temple priests required. The animals had to be unblemished. They had to be purchased with temple currency. And this created hardships for travelers and for the poor why these money changers the temple priests were following another commandment that we read this morning you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself an idol the coins of the roman emperor the coins of the roman empire had caesar's face on it the emperor's face this made them unacceptable as an offering for the image on it, but also because Caesar was calling himself the sun god, and his image was not welcome near the holy of holies. So the travelers had to exchange their currency at a considerable fee for temple currency, and then purchase the animals that were provided also at an inflated cost. And all of this is happening in the place of Jesus' fondest memories of debating the Torah, and preparing for worship. Jesus has found this holy Passover day overshadowed by the bizarre atmosphere that he encounters. Instead of joyful pilgrims, faithful scribes, and priests, Jesus is surrounded by scalpers. And he responds by creating a scene, a great dramatic disruption. And the story of this disruption has become part of our Christian heritage. Jesus drives the animals and the money changers out of the temple. Zeal for his father's house consumed him. Jesus flipping tables and scattering coins becomes as strong an image in our consciousness as Jesus with a lamb slung over his shoulders or Jesus with his hands clasped in fervent prayer. But, you know, I have some sympathy for the temple priests. I think it's part of the human condition to attempt to understand and apply the commandments and decrees of God. What do we think we're doing when we try to follow God's laws? For some, faithfulness has always meant trying to bring every element into their lives into accord with scriptures. The Ten Commandments are a good place to start when building this framework. They begin with advice to love, honour, and revere God, and then they tell us to do the same for our parents and our neighbours by not coveting, stealing, adulterating, or killing them. But we, we don't stop there. We always want to quantify the rules further and further, parsing them again and again, so we add more laws, laws about cooking pots and clothing regulations and dietary restrictions, And some laws try to account for every situation, every hypothetical. That is what the temple priests had started out trying to do. And how could they have foreseen that their protest against the emperor's face on the currency would result later in malicious money changers and dove scalpers in the temple courts? But it did. And when it did... They did nothing about it. In the book of Genesis, God accepted Abel's animal sacrifice. In Jesus' day, this has turned into people who travel for hundreds of miles to exchange currency at exorbitant fees to buy an overpriced dove at the temple gates. Something was systemically wrong, and Jesus arrives at a point where correction is called for. We live in a cycle of making rules, following rules, evolving rules, and reforming rules. This was the focus of much of Jesus' ministry. The people of his time were buried under the burden of purity laws and piety laws and hierarchies of divinity. The rule followers and the rule enforcers had forgotten what they were trying to accomplish. Passover. It's a time to celebrate the redemption of God from slavery and oppression. But it had become a time to slavishly oppress and abuse the pilgrims who traveled to the temple to honor it. Can we find examples of such a thing today? Of course we can. Because we still love our rules and protocols, we love the sense of safety and protection that rituals afford us. We love the side benefits of knowing we're doing everything right and in good order. We have our own zeal for our Father's house. And Jesus is demonstrating that we also must be vigilant in the ways that rules can oppress some people at the same time As they provide structure for others. Instead of celebrating tradition, rules can reinforce inequitable power dynamics, unfair stereotypes. In these past 52 weeks, we have been bombarded with many, many new rules. And some of them are keeping us safe from the virus, and some of them are prolonging life. But some of these rules are also causing deep hardship, and reinforcing poverty. How can we be zealous for God, while at the same time caring for the ones who are unfairly burdened? As a starting point, we need to acknowledge that even our best, most well-thought-out intentions might need a reforming overhaul. I think we need to hold on to these rules and rituals lightly so that we can always be vigilant for any whiff of oppression or hardship that our rules might have created. Isn't that what led us to give up receiving the Eucharist for this entire year? We're all anticipating the time when we can safely celebrate our rituals together again, when we can gather to memorialize our dead, when we can rejoice with the newlywed. We follow the rules today so that next year we can celebrate birthdays, and gather in family reunions. And best of all, so that soon we can come together in worship and file forward to receive the Eucharist. So friends, I'm I'm inviting us to consider our work now as the days of preparation for that day. And like Jesus, let's be consumed with zeal in caring for each other. Let's be zealous for justice and compassion and rejoice in the knowledge that God is presently with us now, even though we are not presently present to each other.